0: Welcome. You're listening to W.O. Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry Magazine. We're delighted you could join us. Welcome. We're back with our roundtable panel, and uh, Dr. Shogay is going to talk to us and talk to the panelists about what we do with this information. Now that we've heard people's stories, where do we go from here?
1: Dr. Shogay? So the question I have for you all is, how do you think we're doing as a profession? How do you think we're doing in terms of understanding each other's stories? How do you think we're doing in terms of cultural competency and humility? And where do you think we need to go from there? You know, what do we need to continue to do um, to create the profession that we perhaps dream of dream about and we think is needed to best take care of our patients? And feel free to answer any aspects of that question.
2: Um, I think to start, for me, uh, I would have to give another story. <laughs> and that would be kind of in school, I had that first experience that I mentioned previously with uh, an upperclassman. And I think I believed once I graduated, and now I'm a doctor, so I'm, I'm, I'm one of, right, that things would be different. And I very much loved my classmates, and I, I loved getting to know them. I made it my, my mission to know everybody's name and understand them and understand where they were coming from, because I think that's important. I also grew up in a diverse city in Miami, Florida, so I always knew people of different backgrounds coming out of school, I realized that this was bigger than just in school, I would go to a conference. And I remember specifically um, being with a a mentor, another doctor, who uh, was of color, a doctor of color, we were walking around and going to different vendors, and they kept addressing us as if we were technicians or workers within an office. Again, lanyard, name badge, Dr. Camille Cohen on there. And repeatedly, the the conversation was, does your doctor at your office, does your boss, do they need this type of uh, equipment in their office? Or have you looked into this? It's like, no, not at all, right? Um, and, And almost a question of, as we went from room to room, you know, almost are you like, are you lost or where do you need to go? You know, there, there's a meeting over here for this. Well, no, I'm, or I thought I was one of the doctors, you know, I'm included, right? And so that's the, there's that feeling of uh, being excluded, of not belonging, right? Uh, and, and that occurs even as a doctor, right? Amongst your own. And, and so I can't help but wonder again, how is that for the patient? You know, I think it's really important um, hearing Nia's story as a patient, as a patient, as a minority, to say that my interactions were so traumatic with my doctor that I had a level of PTSD where I would get physically ill before having to go to a doctor's appointment. You can see that if... For me, amongst my colleagues, I feel isolated. So, how do I think the profession is doing? Not great, not well. Um, we have to acknowledge the cancer before we can cut it out, right? And and it's a it's a long process, but it's it's first addressing it, addressing that we all have biases and that we all have um, ingrained cultural influences that we may have to unlearn in order to be better clinicians, um, better citizens, and overall just better human beings.
1: It's true. We do have to acknowledge the cancer before we can cut it out. And as an educator, you know, my job is to provide people with the skills and tools to be able to do that, you know, start with the process of awareness, and then lean into the processes of action. And, um, you know, just kind of hearing your story about being at a conference and having someone totally oblivious to the fact that you are one of them, you know, them in quotation marks, you're a doctor. Um You know what? What in those moments? So this now beyond this. This extends beyond doctors taking care of patients. It's the industry taking care of us, (laughs) and it it one influences the other. The industry takes care of us. We can take care of our patients, and it's all kind of fluid. And so in that moment, I'm thinking, what what could have been done to better prepare those folks? You know, those uh, exhibitors, the, the equipment, and Tech folks who sell their products and we buy their products. How do we better equip them to um, be ready for for doctors who look like us, right? So we don't have to constantly say, "Well, I am I'm a doctor also," and you know, and I'm I'm even thinking should there be color coded lanyards and or badges in terms of you can now more easily identify people in their state of their career? Are you a student? Are you, is, you know, it's selling equipment? Are you a doctor? Are you a patient or an ambassador of some sort? Um, you know, I hope that doesn't seem enabling, but where are these skills and tools that we can use to help facilitate these interactions better? Dr. Micey, what do you think about that? What do you think, uh, how do you think we're doing as a profession and where do you think we need to go from here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. I don't think our profession is very culturally competent. There are tons of problematic discussion. Like Damaris knows I've gotten into tons of discussions and arguments of of doctors that have said very racist or sexist, you know, or anti-LGBTQ plus things. And you know, these are doctors that are out seeing patients. So if they're willing to say these things in, you know, this sort of closed environment with thousands of other doctors, you know, what are they doing out in the real world? Um, you know, I think one thing in particularly, particular that had really thrown me off last summer, um, kind of after the murder of George Floyd and all the Black Lives Matter protests is, you know, there were a lot of protesters that were being injured by rubber bullets and tear gas and things like that and these protests um, from the police and the ophthalmology the academy of ophthalmology was very very quick to condemn this to say you know these are hurting our patients people are losing eyes they're going blind we do not you know support use of tear gas or rubber bullets but no organization in optometry was willing to do that you know they there was no one that was willing to step up and say something that, you know, was maybe controversial or something. Like, I feel like there's something about optometry. I don't know what it is where, like, we're so risk averse, like, we're afraid to put ourselves out there and say something that might turn off patients um, or turn people away from us, or we don't want to say the wrong thing or do the right thing or do the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Um, say or do the wrong thing. Um, but you kind of have to be able to to put yourself out there and say, you know, I don't believe that these things should be done. I think people should be able to protest safely. I think I need to be able to stand behind my black colleagues and my black patients. Um, And honestly, if a patient is upset about that and they don't want to come see me like, okay, they can see someone else. Um, So I I, I do think our profession has, has to kind of be okay with, you know, acknowledging that we're going to make mistakes that maybe you are going to say or do the wrong thing but just know that as long as you're you're trying to educate yourself, trying to do better, you know, I we've all said the wrong thing before, um, you know, and all we can do is try to Im- improve ourselves. So, I think kind of the next steps there, figuring out like, okay, I'm acknowledging that maybe I'm not the most culturally competent, that my profession isn't. But what are we gonna do to improve that to move forward? You know, and I think a lot of optometry has been doing well in this aspect. I think the schools, multiple schools are implementing diversity, um, you know, positions like yours, Dr. Shoge and, and groups within the schools where students, I think, and now are feeling much more competent, com- much more confident <laughs> to speak up about issues. Like when I was a student, like I rotated through VAs and stuff and it was just sort of understood that like, okay, you're your patients at the VAs are going to say racist and sexist stuff to you. And that just is what it is because they're old and you just kind of have to deal with it. And even if you wanted to complain, like who would you complain to? Um, and I think now the schools are, are giving students that space to feel comfortable to maybe complain about that. So I think that's excellent. Um, there's a bunch of other groups. I think like Black Eye Care Perspective, you know, run by doctors Ramsey and Glover, trying to improve the numbers of uh, Black students applying to optometry school. Um, So I think for a lot of us, you know, is how do we go ahead and support these things? You know, you can, I think you've got to be able to give up something, whether you're donating money to these organizations, there's tons of other organizations you can donate money to. If you're a new grad and you got student loans and you don't have money to donate, you know, donating your time. Um, I believe in protesting. I go to protests. I think I would encourage other optometrists to, to protest for things they believe in. I could never get any of my colleagues to go with me to any of these, including I went to healthcare protests in Seattle last year, you know, with my friend that's a pharmacist and a res- registered, registered dietitian because, you know, none of the optometrists I knew would go with me because they were afraid or like their mom didn't want them to or something. Um, but you can do all these things safely, and so I think figuring out you know where where you think you can best spend your time and energy, and the big one I think that Dr. Cohen um, has been really great about is mentorship. We all agree mentorship is super important. You know how important was it for um, Nia to have a doctor she saw, you know that she saw herself in, and so I think we all are able to do that, and you don't necessarily even need to devote like tons and tons of time. You can do a lot of your mentoring virtually now. If you have patients you see that you think are interested in optometry, like even really young ones, you know, open them, open up the opportunity to, for them to shadow you. Um, and I think the other thing that's important as mentors is we don't just have to mentor people that look like us, you know, it's the burden of mentoring students of color particularly black students you know or muslim students or whatever like you should be able to mentor students that aren't the same gender as you or race or anything um and maybe even partnering up with other colleagues to do that so not all the work is on your back like we can all share this work uh to improve our profession going forward
1: i love how you said um well i didn't love how you said that (laughs) none of your colleagues your od colleagues would uh, attend protests and different things with you, but one of the one of the thoughts that I had was that there are different ways to protest. There are different ways to use your voice. Um, one of them being mentorship that you mentioned, um, which uh, Dr. Cohen is an amazing mentor. But um, there are other ways. You know, there are other ways to. Pres- Persist and resist. So, you know, if you're an educator, looking at your slides to see who who is represented on your slides when you're educating your optometry students, you know that's that's a form of protest and doing something about it. If you're noticing a pattern, you know that's a form of protest. Um, making sure that if you you know again I'm an educator so a lot of my references are educationally based but if you see a student whether you're in a school or if you're a preceptor outside who is perhaps not exhibiting you know good treatment via cultural competence and humility how do you have a moment where you talk to this student about that because again we're 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 all trained by uh, I think you said the stats, 88% of people in leadership positions, including you know teaching, are still white men. They're becoming more female these days, but then it's white female, right? And so how do we, um, if we're all kind of trained by the same folks, then we have to, as trainers, Um, How do I change my patterns and behaviors? How do I start to make these kind of observations and shift the mindset of the generation coming behind me? Um, So again, there are different ways to protest. If you see something, say something, that sort of thing. Even if it's on an individual basis, you know, protesting doesn't mean you have to show up with a group of people. Uh, Protesting means you show up in that moment. Um, Sometimes with one other person. And that can have a profound effect on people. Dr. Muhammad, how do you think our profession is doing and where do you think we need to go from here?
0: Well, I have to definitely agree um, in terms of what Dr. Cohen said and what Dr. Dr. Mighty said. I definitely think that there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, I do think that I've seen a change. So in, um, after the murder of George Floyd, Means some of my classmates got together and we wrote an open letter to ASCO. Um, and I feel like from that, I've noticed that there is actually a lot more positions that have been become open um, in terms of director of diversity and inclusions at many of the optometry schools that at least at SUNY, I know that was never a position that was there before. So I do think that that letter helped to put a little pressure on the schools to say, hey, the students are noticing that there's um, discrimination that's existing Um, that there are some biases that are existing and that we want the schools to do something about it. And I definitely think that in terms of making a step in the right direction, I think that's been very helpful to at least make the students feel like there's someone on the campus that they can go to um, that's kind of rooting for them and and helping them throughout throughout their program. However, I do feel that a lot of talk about cultural competency in terms of teaching a class, I don't really personally believe that that's... um, as effective as just increasing the number of students that go to the school that represent different cultures and then having those students be a part of the conversation versus someone that's not familiar with the culture teaching about their bias or teaching about their opinion of um, these different cultures that exist. I know when I was in in optometry school, we had a cultural competency type class and I don't really think it was very effective because I think it was written by people that don't represent those cultures. So it was not um, very, in my opinion, very comprehensive of what cultural competency should be versus it being taught by some, by people that represent those cultures, being able to express um, and teach, you know, to the students in a way that makes more sense coming from someone that is representative of the cultures that they're trying to learn about. In terms of where we should go from here, I definitely think that, so right now as a resident, um, I know that there's a program currently where they're reaching out to residents um, of color who are interested in potentially learning more about academia and kind of pairing them with a mentor to kind of help them get, you know, if they wanted to become and they wanted to go to academia, helping them to kind of go down that path. I think that's great in terms of increasing representation uh, within the faculty and optometry schools. But I also think that just outreach needs to become a bigger, um, there needs to be more outreach done in terms of you know, in high schools, pipeline programs that help to generate more students coming to optometry school of color. Because I do think that the more students that are represented in the optometry schools that are of color, that helps to open up the conversation more in terms of creating more change within the optometry schools, and then also hopefully within the profession.
1: Thanks, Thanks Dr. Mohammed, And, you know, I, it. A lot of the groundwork and, you know, thank you and your your peers for the open letter that you did write to ASCO and um, a lot of the work that we're seeing is because of students. Um, these are student driven initiatives in terms of it's really the students were saying, I need this as. Part of my educational experience in order to better take care of my patients. And so, this being, I need this either I need to see more diversity in my um, class, in my school, I need to see that di- more diversity in my educators, um, you know, or I need to be more adequately trained for this. So, you know, we've been seeing students ask for that too. Like I, you know, I learn about ocular disease and all this and that, but am I really, really learning about how I best take care of my patients? So I, you know, I, I tend to think it's a both and situation, but I, I for sure appreciate when you say, you know, we need to establish a uh, better outreach. We need to create more pipeline programs um, and we need to increase the uh, numbers of underrepresented uh, persons in our school. Um, when they get there, we also need to make sure that we're taking care of them. And that's, that's a big piece that, you know, we still need to work on. Do we need to work on the numbers? 100%. And we are we saw a little bit in, of increase in those numbers in this past uh Uh, admission cycle. Um, But we also need to increase inclusion and we need to increase belonging. We need to make sure that people are comfortable while, while they are there and are successfully completing the program and introducing them into opportunities. You know, are we mentoring folks to think about residencies? Are we mentoring folks to think about academia are we you know how how are we mentoring folks um so great points there thank you since we're talking about students really leading the charge in this kind of way i'd like to turn to our only student on the panel Nia. what do you what do you think you're really kind of like our our boots on the ground here right now um, how do you think we're doing as a profession? And I, I don't know how fair that question is because this is really your first year in school maybe because you started your first year as in the middle of a pandemic. So you might have experienced most if not all of your first year via Zoom. So I, I think, I assume you're back on campus now. How do you think we're doing and where do you think we need to go?
4: Yeah. Um, so this is my first year that I'm really on campus. Um, so I haven't had that much experience yet. Um, but I definitely so far in my experience have seen things that we can work on, um, and things also that I think have been helpful in making me feel, um, supported, uh, on campus. So for example, um, I remember during the time of elections and when there were a lot, it was like a tense environment. um, And there were a few hate crimes that um, minorities were experiencing. Um, And during that time, I was definitely feeling a little bit, a little bit anxious, especially like going to school, coming home from school, especially after um, night, evening labs that uh, we had. And one of my professors sent out an email and Um, explained his or gave his support for people who might be feeling a little bit a little bit anxious during this time and also said um, you know I'm here for you come speak to me if you need a listening ear um, but also make sure that you feel safe Uh, if you don't feel safe taking public transportation take an uber or cab and I'm willing to pay for it and especially when I saw that I knew that there were professors who understood what I was feeling and were willing to support me in any way um, that I needed. Um, And also, I was really excited, especially this semester when I had, um, when one of my supervisors um, was black, this was the first time that I had a black professor or supervisor, um, and she has made me feel very supported on campus, um, especially, after a few things that people have um, in groups that I'm in, sorry, let me just take, uh, restart that part. So I, so Dr. Harewood um, is the director of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging on our campus, and she has made me feel very supported. Um, the way that she listens to students' concerns and quickly takes action after, um, made me realize that there's there are people on campus like her and the other professor who sent out that email um, that are rooting for us and supporting us and making us feel comfortable. Um, there are also things that I think um, could be worked on. For example, some of the little things like in lectures, when professors use pictures to show different conditions, sometimes the pictures that are used um, of black people are kind of remind me of the pictures that are used uh, by nonprofit organizations depicting African children with you know flies on their face and drool on the uh, drool on the sides of their mouth. Um, and I think I look at it and I think it's not very realistic of what I see in clinic. Um, and I think there are p- those pictures can be made more um, respectful or more realistic. Um, and also even the comments that are made sometimes that you don't realize could be, um, could give off maybe um, a microaggression um, or make some students feel unincluded. Um, sometimes you hear comments like, oh, i um, these beautiful blue eyes, I hear it so many times, but I haven't heard beautiful brown eyes. I think all eyes are so beautiful, especially after seeing irises for the first time in love. Um, but yeah, little things like that. Um, And also just having a space where we can uh, de-stress, uh, like the prayer room that we have in our school has been very um a very safe space for me, a place where I can um, relax and reflect and just um, de-stress. And I think having something like that on all campuses is important for students.
1: The little things matter, you know, I, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about very big things. And I think that's why I really enjoy having you on this panel, because as I said, you're, you know, you really represent the boots on the ground right now. Um, and the having a meditation room, uh, you know, a place where you can have community with other peers like you is just, it's such a big thing, you know, having, you know, gender neutral bathrooms, <laughs> having um, you know, I, I've started seeing, um, you know, acknowledging holidays and, and things that even if it's just a handful of people in the school who celebrate or observe, those people now like, oh, they know it's this is my holiday. This is something that's important to me, celebrating and observing, observing those things. So those, you know, we don't want to belittle it by calling them little things, but those daily, those every day, those day-to-day things those are the inclusive and belonging actions that really make people feel comfortable in their environment. So again, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time by accomplishing the big things as well as the little things. Um, this is an industry wide, wide call to action. Um, we are, you know, in terms of the, concerted work we've been doing for the past year. We're about a, a, a year in, a little more than a year in. Um, but it, as some of my mentors in NOA have said, you know, we've been here for 50 years and we've been doing this work. So I i want to keep the momentum going. And that's part of my role um, in my position as uh, director of DEIB, um, making sure these Conversations continue to happen, making sure that we keep each other accountable um, and making sure that we don't we don't get too comfortable. We want to get better we we don't get we don't want to get too comfortable again because we've seen what comfort can lead to and it's it's really complacency and we don't want to be complacent because we have a long way to go. We've definitely seen the needle moving in the right direction um, I think in small ways and in big ways, Um, but we need to keep going and pushing forward. I just wanna thank you all for taking a little time to have these conversations and um, I hope we have the opportunity to do this again sometime. Dr. Raimondi, what do you think, how do you think our profession is doing and where do you think we need to go?
5: Yeah, I really love everybody's answers. Um, I do think we still have a lot of work left. And I love optometry. And I love it so much that I do think it's important that we constantly self-reflect and use all of the social issues that we are, that may be new to some of us or may have been our lived experiences uh, as an opportunity to constantly learn more and be a lot more curious, being curious. It's as simple as that, really. Um, there's so many different countries to learn about, so many different backgrounds to learn about, and I think that you know, in optometry, in our profession, we do have a lot of work left, and and that's okay. If we're able to recognize that, then we can check, uh, you know, check on each other and say, hey, you know, maybe you should think about saying this a different way we should feel comfortable in even reaching out to different organizations and saying, hey, I see your whole panel of speakers and it is all white men. Or if they are trying, it's all, um, you know, it's not representative of what our, you know, our real patient population looks like. And we should feel comfortable saying that. And at the same time, right, it's also important for us to recognize that we can make mistakes too and that we can continuously grow. And learn more. So, and I think it was also mentioned before, right, in terms of our industry with um, with the big uh, conferences, representation is still needed. And apart from mentorship, you know, I think professionals like, like us too, like me, who have been out for six years or so, we also need to find someone who is uh, going to be able to pass that mic, right, and who's going to know when they can center their voices, when they need to they need to step aside, or when they need to bring someone else on, uh, such as this panel, right, where we're all here and we're, our voices and our experiences are being centered. And, you know, the future is looking really bright, with Dr. Muhammad and Nia, and uh, with all of us, we'll uh, all work together and hopefully all meet in the future,
1: too. Thank you. Thank you for your response, and I agree. You know, we all just have to just continue to work together and as you mentioned when I kind of look over my shoulder to see who's coming behind me I'm excited and I'm impressed and we again just need to keep that momentum going make sure we're mentoring folks um, that are coming behind us and um keep that relationship and that that chain going so thank you for that
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Shoghi, for moderating this panel discussion. There have been so many good ideas talked about here and so many important ideas to keep talking about here. I also want to thank uh, Dr. Camille Cohen, uh, Dr. Damaris Ramondi, uh, Dr. Sati Mehti, um, Dr. Monique Mohammed, and Nia Ibrahim. Um, thank you all for your time.